and welcome to Fiction Fans, a podcast where we read books and other words too. I'm Lily. And I'm Sarah. And today we will be discussing Shadow and Bone by Lee Bardugo. But first, Sarah, what's something great that happened recently? Something great that happened recently. I actually have a plethora of things, but I'm going to say that Galley, Gallifrey won the Doctor Who convention in LA that we go to every year, which happened, I guess, not last Wednesday because we took a week off, but the Wednesday before we were at Galley and it was delightful. It was a hell of a lot of fun. And you were even there this year. I know the plague didn't stop me this time. I was very delighted to see that. <laughs> Am I right in assuming that Galley is your good thing too? No, my good thing was going to be the rugby game I went to. Oh. I know, this is what happens when we don't record for like two and a half weeks. <laughs> Suddenly good things happen. <laughs> it's we only because we're not about. recording. <laughs> it means I have time to go out and do stuff. <laughs> okay, that is that is very true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd never been to a rugby game before. I'm really not a sports person, but it turns out rugby is absolutely delightful. I feel like it has the, or at least I had had a perception that it's like football, but more violent. And there's definitely physical conflict, but it's such a different kind. Like it's much more like wrestling, I would say. People aren't just like running full speed into each other. It's really interesting. I've obviously never been, well, I guess there's no obviously about it. I've not been to a rugby game, (laughs) but when you were first telling me about it, about going to this, I looked up concussion stats because I'd heard that it was a more violent game too. Mm -hmm. And Google, for however much that's worth, told me that there are more concussions in rugby, but they're worse in football. That I would believe that because there's these are still like adults going from standing to on the ground. And so that's got to rattle you about a little bit. <laughs> yes. But like in, in American football, once the ball touches the ground, it's out of play. And then everything stops for like half an hour while we wait for everything to reset. Whereas in rugby, it doesn't. <laughs> they just wrestle for the ball on the ground. <laughs> that sounds much more fun. It's way more fun. And the whole thing... Like, getting to the game, intermission, getting, like, merch and everything. The entire experience was two hours. That is the correct length for a sports game. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a bad length. Yeah. Well, anything longer than that is unacceptable. Depends on how much fun you're having. but there, It is impossible to have enough fun for a sports game to justify being five hours long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would probably watch five hours of gymnastics. But gymnastics is a very specific thing. I was really like in one sitting. Yeah. That's you're more dedicated than I am. I mean, it's gymnastics is like the one sport that I'm even somewhat passionate about, given that I spent a long time of my youth doing it. Fair enough. Well, uh, I may be turning into a rugby fan. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. I know. It helps that we have a local team who's actually good. (laughs) (laughs) That does make a difference. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Also, the field is like five minutes away from my house. So. (laughs) Also makes a difference. (laughs) Yeah. Very convenient. Anyway. Yeah. That was my good thing. Discovering a sport that doesn't suck. Now, I was very tempted for drinking tonight to say that I was drinking beer just to make you think I was entirely replaced by a pod person. (laughs) I would have been checking with your husband, asking, (laughs) have you noticed anything different about Lily recently? I'm a little concerned. Well, don't worry. I'm drinking Franzia. Oh, good. Yeah, still me. All of my worries are assuaged. I am drinking. So at Galley, my cousin gave me very kindly a bottle of apple wine that she and her husband had. That bitch stepping on my territory. Had made. (laughs) So I, I'm drinking that with a little bit of rum and, no, brandy. I decided on brandy and some Martinelli's. Oh, that sounds nice. I've only had it with whiskey, but I think, like, is it a spiced rum? So it's actually not a rum at all. I was going to use... Oh, duh. You said brandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I had used rum, it would have been just a, a light rum because that's all that I have. But when I added the brandy to the glass, it still needed a little bit of um, sweetness. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't have any kind of like simple syrup or whatever, but I had this bottle of Martinelli's 
which is otherwise too sweet to drink. <laughs> so I was like, perfect. You have like a whole ass cocktail going on over there. I do have a whole ass cocktail going on. Quite a good one too. Well, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, we we use like mulling spices in the apple wine. So it, that's why I'm like warm liquor, not cold liquor. I'm not referring to the temperature, but you know what I mean. I'm not wrong. <laughs> I do know what you mean. I actually considered heating up the Martinelli's mm, so that it would be like a war- an actually warm drink. Mm-hmm. But I did not do that. <laughs> well, next time, maybe. Next time. All right. And then as we slowly transition into actual book talk, Sarah, <laughs> have you read anything good lately? I've done a decent amount of reading lately, mostly because it's been like two weeks since we recorded. And one of those weeks involved a lot of uh, plane travel. But uh, one of the things that I read was Space Opera by Catherine Valente, which is basically space Eurovision. And I was really excited for it and then ended up kind of disappointed because the the plot was, I mean, not that there was a huge amount of plot. You don't need a huge amount of plot when your plot is space Eurovision. You probably need about as much plot as Eurovision needs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I really enjoyed the characters, but the writing was just like nonstop tangents and like jumping over itself. And it was just too much. Mm-hmm. Like it it felt overdone and like in love with its own wittiness. And so there was no time to actually, yep. <laughs> For <laughs> listeners was... at home, I'm making a jerk off motion with my hand. <laughs> yeah, there was just like, there was no time to actually enjoy the characters or what they were going through, mm-hmm. which was really disappointing. Yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't regret reading it. I finished it. Yeah, but there's something worse about a book that was good, but could have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of a book that you're like, that was fine. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't even necessarily call this good because I didn't actually it was it was so much that I just didn't really enjoy the process of reading it. Mm. Like not enough to stop reading it, but certainly enough that I wouldn't necessarily call it good. Gotcha. I had a not at all similar experience, but a similar emotional roller coaster. First, I reread a very long Witcher fan fiction series. You are allowed to make fun of me. It is like 400,000 words long. Uh, so the only thing that I'm going to make fun of you for is the length, because you always say that you hate things that are that long and you give me so much shit. I know. Well, it's <laughs> like, that's not my regular thing. I think what appalls me is that you prefer things that long. Whereas I'm like, if it's going to be this long, it better be worth it. <laughs> and The Accidental Warlord Alternate Universe is a good series that I quite enjoy. It's a little cheesy and over the top, but in a fun way, Uh, but very long, very fun. And then I went to the author's page and realized that they have so much. (laughs) That's always a a fun uh, discovery. Right? When you're like, "This this is an author that I really like, and they have so much more that I haven't read. Half of it is terrible ABO. Oh no, I take I it back. <laughs> that was my emotional roller coaster piece. <laughs> yep, yep. I see I see the drop off, the roller coaster drop off. Like they have a couple other really long series that I was like, all right, author, you've proven yourself once. Let's give it a try. I'm sorry. That's depressing. Ugh. Very disappointing. I read the first work, like 40,000 word work in a different, in in an ABO uh, Witcher series by the same author. I almost didn't finish it. <laughs> I'm impressed that you did finish it, actually. Like the thing with me preferring long work, I, I give up on long fic that I'm not enjoying. Like I don't find that I have to read all of the way through. 40,000 is where the definition of long for fan fiction begins for me. So it was like right on the edge. And I had just read so much that I was like, maybe it'll change. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but after 40,000 words, you know, it's not going to. Yeah. So anyway, that was my, uh, my journey. I dipped my toe back into fan fiction. It's been a while. I've taken some time off was a little bit (laughs) 
mixed bag. Yeah. Well, and that's that's how fanfic goes, right? That's how fan fiction goes. Well, speaking of a mixed bag, we're here to talk about Shadow and Bone. Yep. Which is also the name of the trilogy, I think. At least that's what it says. I think that's what it says. No, it just says Grishaverse. No. Okay. On the front cover of my copy, it says Grishaverse. On the spine, it says Shadow and Bone Trilogy. So I don't know. On the front cover of mine, it says, now a Netflix series. And I know what you're thinking. But Lily, you borrowed the ebook from the library. How could that possibly still have the awful adaptation sticker on the front? They managed. <laughs> that is a tragedy. You, you should, like, ebooks at least should be free of that junk. My copy also says coming soon to Netflix, but it is a physical copy. So I will, if not forgive it, at least allow it. I feel like we've been desensitized to that by now, but I was just sort of appalled that even ebooks weren't safe. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> well, Sarah, you warned me going into this because you have read this whole series before, in fact, not just this book. Yeah, I've I've read all of the Grisha verse novels, which is the three Shadow and Bone books, the Six of Crows duology, and then the duology that comes after that, which I think is called King of Scars, something along those lines anyway. And I have read all of those. Yes. Specifically because of aforementioned Netflix series. <laughs> Yes, I enjoyed I enjoyed the TV show enough that I was like, okay, I'm going to go and read. Actually, no, what? No, you power read them yeah. so you could do an episode with Friends Talking Fantasy, right? Not about the uh, books, though. We were talking about the show. Yeah. I think what it was was that I wanted to, I was excited for the show, so I wanted to read the original series first. And then it turned out that the show really combines that first trilogy with Six of Crows. And so it like I had half of the knowledge. Yeah, I, I'm straining to go back this far in my memory because <laughs> it was like a year ago. I'll rescue you. Yeah. I had not read this before, but you warned me that we were probably too old for this book. And my God, were you right? <laughs> yes, this series is... And I looked it up on Wikipedia. It's it's Lee Bardugo's debut series. This is her debut novel. So that's um, a little rough. Maybe we should. <laughs> yeah. So so that's a little rough. It's also a young adult series aimed at girls who are probably like fifteen or so, and we are not you that that old. I was gonna say like twelve. Okay, in the twelve to fifteen range, because this book brushes just close enough to admitting that sex exists. To titillate a 12-year-old. Whereas once you're 15, you're like, yeah, I know already. <laughs> okay, you may have a point there. The main character is like in that 15 to 16 age range, though, I think. Why did I think she was like 19? It, it's not clear. It doesn't really matter. It, it doesn't matter. She is some kind of nebulous teen years. Later teen, though. Yes. She's not early teen. Well, which only solidifies my point, because... Main characters are always a little bit older than the target demo for YA, in my opinion. Yes, but if you think she's 19, that makes that argument actually makes my point. <laughs> Which is why I didn't argue it, did I? <laughs> okay. I thought at the beginning they were like, 20 years later or something like that. There is a time skip. I've always thought that she's around that 15 to 16 year range, maybe because of how young she acts. She doesn't really act like a 19 year old. No, certainly not. But I would I would will be willing to believe that she's actually supposed to be older. One thing that I do like about this series, though, and something that I think, at least when I was reading YA, I didn't see very much of, was a setting that is not your stereotypical, like, medieval fantasy Britain. This is more like fantasy Russia. And so that, like, that's a that's a point in Lee Bardugo's favor. I'll give her that. <laughs> there were some really fun aspects of the world, like this the sand boats. Those were very fun. There is some interesting world building that I think, unfortunately, mostly does not show up in this first trilogy, like Six of Crows and the sequel to that, whose title I can't remember. 
are actually genuinely pretty enjoyable books that are, they definitely feel like the work of a much more mature author. Mm -hmm. And the characters are more developed and the plot is more interesting and the characters drive the action more than just like react to what's happening. This book, part of it is, I think, just that we are not the target audience. It has so many tropes that I would have eaten up when I was like 11 or 12. Oh, yeah. The no one understands how special she is <laughs> thing would have stabbed me in the heart. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's very definitely aimed at a younger audience. And I can see why it has the appeal that it does. I mean, why it's so popular, because it does have those like that appeal. And if I was younger, I would have loved it, too. I just feel like there's some YA that is written for a younger audience, but is still appealing to adults. And then there's some YA that just leans so hard on this is what kids will enjoy. Or, you know, young adults. Yeah. 11 to 13 year olds that like it's so I don't transparent maybe is what I'm trying to say blunt that it's just not like I couldn't get into it it was so extreme I couldn't get into it now even though I could acknowledge that there were things about it I would have liked as a young person yeah it's it's very I feel like blunt is the right word there's not a lot of nuance there it no it knows what it is and it it does that <laughs> yeah and like I was just talking about reading some ridiculous self-indulgent fan fiction. So there's still definitely an aspect of that in my reading habits. I think I just I just expect more. Well, I think there's a difference between self-indulgent and childish indulgence. <laughs> yeah, like you can have something that's self-indulgent but nuanced. Yeah. And then something that's just not nuanced and is aimed at a younger audience. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't mind when good guys are good guys and bad guys are bad guys. I don't think every story should be that way, but sometimes it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do have some thoughts on that that we'll cover in the spoiler section. Oh yeah, this book is not a good example of a time when it's just nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of, one of the things, and you touched on this briefly, is that Alina really does have not like the other girl syndrome. And it expresses itself in ways that I find as a reader now very frustrating. Like she goes off to the little palace. She discovers or is discovered to have this power that she's she's a Grisha. She can summon light. Oh, no. She's the only person in the whole world in hundreds of years who's had this power, Sarah. She's the <laughs> only one who can do this, and maybe she can save the world. Yes. she's She's got this super special, awesome power to summon light, but she doesn't know how to use it. And she can't use it for a while because she's got some kind of like mental block. And she goes to the little palace, which is where all of the Grisha like train. And there are these two other Grisha, and I forget what, Grisha are separated into like, quote unquote, orders, depending on what their skill set is, like what their power is. And I forget what the orders are, but she makes friends with these two other summoners who can do something involving summoning, but it's not light, named Marie and Nadia. And they're nice to her, right? Like they don't ever do anything mean to her. And she just decides, even though she's friendly with them, she just decides that she hates them. And she's like so snide about them in her interior comments. And this is all written in first person. So like we get all of that. And she's just, I really don't enjoy seeing that in books. <laughs> we get it even earlier too, because her childhood best friend is like now a stud and all of the girls everywhere just trip over themselves to get at him and she's also in love with him but it's different because she's not a slut <laughs> and she's also known him since they were like little kids which makes it okay yeah she's allowed to love him but if anyone else likes him then it's shallow no one could possibly like him for a good reason except for her <laughs> and it's actually so extreme that when marie and nadia were introduced i thought marie was one of the grisha that had had a dalliance with him at the beginning of the book, because that was the only explanation I could come up with for why she hated her so much. 
but that's not, no, that was a completely different person. Yeah, that's Zoya. And poor Zoya. Zoya does get more depth as the series progresses, even in this first trilogy. But it's in the first book, she's basically just there to be the jealous catty bitch who hates that Alina has the special power, that Alina is taking the Darkling's attention away from Zoya. Not that we really know that Zoya ever had it to begin with. But we were told that she, well, she has one of the like focusers, enhancers or whatever that only the most favorite people get. Yeah. But like, that's the only instance that we really see of Zoya maybe being one of the Darkling's faves. Well, it's not like we see the Darkling do anything except pant over Alina and scheme a little bit. (laughs) Snark. That's a trash villain's expression of panting. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. Zoya is a perfect example of how this (laughs) this book introduces the idea that everyone at court is two-faced and they'll be nice to you, but then stab you in the back. And that was something that I feel like Alina introduced with her two friends and why they couldn't be friends, because clearly they were just being two-faced to her, even though we don't actually see that ever happen, ever. Yeah, she has some comment about how they're nice to Zoya's face, and then laugh about Zoya, like, with Alina. And so clearly, if they're doing that, they must be doing that about Alina herself. But we never see any indication that that's taking place, ever. Ever. (laughs) And we're told that Zoya is, you know, one of the perfect bitches who totally belong, unlike Alina, who's an outsider, because she is not like the other girls. But then, do you know how Zoya, well, you know, <laughs> listener, do you know how Zoya expresses her distaste for Alina? <laughs> By using an illegal move against her in sparring. And everyone is mad at her, and she gets in a ton of trouble. And it's like, yeah, no shit. I thought this was a a subtle court full of two-faced bitches. You don't just punch someone in the face in front of a bunch of people. Like, what? Yeah. (laughs) You should know better than that. This book, I feel like a lot of the actions in this book, and this comes back to what we were talking about it being very blunt. Like, it's, it's very blunt. There's no subtlety. Which would have been fine if it hadn't said there was going to be subtlety. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, a lot of the times... You're reading these things thinking, like, what in the world are these characters thinking? This is not how you would expect them to actually actually react in this situation. I mean, maybe they would feel this, but that's not what they would do. That's not what any sensible person would do. Not at all. It feels like it's entirely constructed just to justify how othered Alina is because she's too special and so everyone is jealous and mean and and also not just that but constructed to like justify a plot point that Bardugo wants to make because I'm thinking not specifically or not only in the case of Zoya doing this stupid thing during sparring but like there are a couple of other times when it feels like a character is reacting the way they do just because that's how they need to react for the plot well that's true too yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) if i was young enough that the special snowflake shit could have just carried me away in a fantasy avalanche of enjoyment i probably would have really liked this book but unfortunately i am an adult (laughs) (laughs) yep it's just not for me yeah although there are young adult novels that i read today and do actually enjoy. Some of that is nostalgia goggles, so that doesn't really count. <laughs> no, that doesn't count. <laughs> but there are some YA, like The the Wind Child by, was that Gabriella Houston? Yeah, and I wouldn't even call that YA. I think that she categorizes it as a middle grade. Is that younger than YA? Yes. Okay. But your point stands, that's a book that you can read and enjoy as an adult, because even though it's written for a younger audience and so simplifies some things character motivations themes all of that still resonates with an adult reader yeah whereas in shadow and bone that's not necessarily the case <laughs> i really think it just comes down to it's very well written the wind child is very well written and so even though it is 
you know, simple in some aspects, you're still like, oh, but I can see how this is actually still very good. It's just not complex. And that's fine. Yeah. It's also (laughs) not her debut novel. That's true. Are we being too mean to Bardugo? I mean, we we have said, or I have said, that Six of Crows is a much more mature novel and a much better novel. So I don't think we're being too mean. We're not being any meaner than she was to Marie, so. Yes. <laughs> you brought this on yourself, Lee. <laughs> there, you know, for, for all this is a YA novel, though, there are some unexpected, like, the series goes in unexpectedly dark places a couple of times. Not specifically this first book so we don't really have a lot to talk about but the book mentions Genya's relationship with the king and I don't know how or I don't remember I should say how much that actually gets dealt with in the other books but it's an abusive relationship like she's being abused and that's a place that I wouldn't necessarily have expected this YA series in particular to go. It's definitely edgy. It's a very edgelord book, which is also (laughs) why I would have loved it when I was 12. That kind of thing, just like, just sort of dipping its toe into acknowledging that sex exists and acknowledging that there are actually bad people and some relationships aren't great without confronting it or dealing with it in a meaningful way. Just, oh, poor Genya, moving on. Yeah. And again, to be fair, I think there is a little bit more time spent on it as the series progresses, but I probably not as much as that concept deserves. I feel like if it was given its due course, you would remember that. Maybe. I did read these books very quickly. Yeah, that's true. Fair enough. The first time. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I would probably at least have a better memory of it than I do. One other thing. This is really inconsequential, but it's something that I remarked on when I was reading this book for the podcast, is they talk about how their country, Ravka, is at war with its neighbors. It's been at war for a hundred years, which is a long time to be at war. And yet the court puts on this huge like winter party every year that's super, super extravagant. The story goes into a ton of detail about like how extravagant the party is. And I just wonder, how can they afford this if they've been at war for 100 years? We don't hear ever about, like, the normal people having to suffer under austerity measures. So, like, where is this money coming from? I have two comments. One, I was under the impression that while technically they are at war, it's not necessarily active battle. Because isn't the fold, the magical, like, no man's land desert that kills almost everyone who goes through it? between them and their neighbors? No, that's bisecting Ravka itself. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right, because they do go into the Scandinavian country. That's not what it's called, but that's what it is at one point when they're chasing stuff. Yeah, and they're also at war with, what is it, Shuhan? Not China. Which is not China, yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm still under the impression they're not having active battles because we don't hear about it ever. (laughs) We don't hear about it ever. I mean, Alina joins the army, and it sounds like that's a thing that all like coming-of-age people have to do. Yeah, but you never hear about anyone fighting ever. You don't. It's true. So I was like, okay, they're at war, quote-unquote, at war, but it's not like active skirmishes or anything. But that I was just definitely putting the fold in between them and their enemies for that excuse but I guess that's wrong. So <laughs> yeah, really, the answer is this book is far too blunt. Sarah, rich people, rich. Yeah. Poor people, poor. <laughs> I mean, it's this. The the answer, I think, is that this is a thing that Bardugo has not thought about. And it has no like purpose because she wanted to have a winter party for plot reasons. So she has a winter party for plot reasons. <laughs> They didn't even need to be in active war. They could have just had neighbors with animosity. The fact that they had to be at war for a hundred years shows the like simplistic black and white situation in this book. Yeah. Because it could have just been, yeah, we have these neighbors and a war breaks out every once in a while, or it's always on the horizon. You never know when war could break out. That would have been so much more reasonable. <laughs> 
Yeah. And again, to be fair, like Bardugo does a lot more with this war situation in the two following duologies because she's a much more mature writer by then. She can handle like the plot lines a lot better. It's not quite as simplistic, but in Shadow and Bone, boy, that war is just, it's like a background painting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it, it has no depth. It's just there to add color to the background. Yeah. But by color, we mean like I was trying to come up with an analogy. I'm so not an artist. <laughs> like, you get a couple of primary reds and blues, and that's it. Yep. There we go. I got there. You got there eventually. Well, Sarah, I would say if you are a young person who likes fantasy adventure and compelling main characters, you should go read Inda by Sherwood Smith. <laughs> yes. Onto the spoilers? <laughs> I don't have anything to add that. Onto the spoilers. <laughs> no, it okay. If you are a young person who just really wants to have a pretty simple, like, this main character's the greatest, and everyone loves her for absolutely no justifiable reason, and let's just have a really fun time, that's fine. Yeah. That's what this book is. <laughs> if if you want a fun adventure with a special main character and a great trash villain. I do love the Darkling. I mean, he's he's I think he's better in the show than he is in the books, to be honest. But still, like if you if you want your hot dark haired villain who's in love with the main character. And she loves is, him, but she can't. But she likes him, but she can't. And then she eventually doesn't choose him anyway. In this book. Yeah, yeah, in this book. This is a good book for that. Yeah, it's fun. It doesn't do anything that it does the best. Wait, wait, let me fix that. It's not the best at anything that it does. <laughs> there we go. That was a real sentence. <laughs> yes. And it's not groundbreaking. But it's pretty quick. It's like, whatever. It's quick. It does have a really interesting setting. You don't get it to the best of its best of Bardugo's abilities in this book. But the setting and the concept are really cool. And it's not just, as I mentioned earlier, it's not just your standard fantasy Britain TM, (laughs) which is nice. So how far through does the first season of the show get? Is the first season comparable to the first book? I know you said it combines the two series, though. It, It combines the events of Shadow and Bone and the events of Six of Crows. And again... I haven't rewatched the series since it first came out, so... I'm going to look up the description for the last episode in season one. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it gets at least to the winter fet. Is Kerrigan the name of the Darkling? That's the name they give him in the TV show. Weird. He doesn't get a name in the, in the books. He's just the Darkling. Oh, they acknowledge how stupid that is? I love it. <laughs> in, the, in the TV show, he's, I think, Alexander Kerrigan or something. So the description of the last episode is basically the, the last big thing in the book. And then something about crows that I don't understand, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually pretty interested to see how the show cleans up some of this bullshit. I think there's a possibility that they saw that this has a cool concept and then were like, we can fix it. Yeah, yeah. I think the show made an interesting decision to combine the two books. And I'm pretty sure they did it because they know that Six of Crows is the better story. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I think that they work well as a simultaneous plot line or as like a simultaneous timeline. I think they should have just made the Six of Crows TV show. Like, cut all the Shadow and Bone stuff out. Sure, you don't get Alina and Mal and the Darkling. No one cares about missing Alina and Mal. They only care about missing the Darkling. But Six of Crows has a much, much more compelling cast of characters, much more interesting plot. Like, they should have just stuck with that. Well, I'm probably not going to finish the series, but I might watch the show. That's where I'm at after reading this book. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair enough. Yeah. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pugs. Yes, all Pugs. To avoid spoilers, skip to 4846.
So I have I have some thoughts. I have some spoiler thoughts. You have a couple of questions here, and I have bad <laughs> news. The answer to all of them is because. Yeah, I know. And and that's really one of the weaknesses of this book is that there are no answers. But my questions in particular for this is why does Bagra so Bagra is the Darkling's mother who lives on the grounds of the little palace and is teaching Alina how to use her powers. Why does she wait so long to tell Alina that the Darkling is the black heretic who created the the fold, that he's this evil dude? And also, if she's so against what he's doing, why does she stay there for so long? Excellent questions. I got nothing for you. (laughs) I know there's no answer. I know. But it just... I wish that there had been a little more thought put into, like, these answers on Bardugo's part. I feel like I agree entirely with your first question, but I don't really see why Bagra leaving the little palace would have stopped the Darkling. (laughs) You might as well live in luxury. (laughs) It, It wouldn't have, but I don't know. Like, it also feels like because she's at least nominally listening to him by training Alina. Although we learned that he didn't really want Alina trained that much. So maybe that's kind of standing up to him. But like, it it seems kind of implicitly accepting what he's doing by staying there. And for someone who professes to be so against what he's doing, it just seemed like an odd choice. But you're right, it her leaving wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah, I mean, might as well live in the lap of luxury if your son is going to be an evil warlord. So, I guess, but it like if you're going to do that, just accept that your son's going to be an evil warlord. Or maybe she was trying to work against him in the background, like she kind of does with Alina. Who knows how many schemes she has going on? I want Bagra's story of her trying to sabotage the Darkling at every turn. And see, that's my point. Like, I would be totally fine with that. But it doesn't feel like Bardugo has thought about that. But Sarah, this is in first person. That just means Alina didn't know about it. Yeah, but Bardugo didn't think about it either. Yeah, but that's first person for you. <laughs> Even if she had thought about it, she wouldn't have been able to talk about it. Okay, but she could have like given us something. Some kind of very blunt line of exposition. She did when Bagra says, Alina, get out of here. She could have said, I've stayed here because I'm trying to undermine everything the Darkling's doing. <laughs> So what you are saying is you wanted more blunt, straightforward dialogue. (laughs) At least then we would have gotten something. Yeah. But yeah. And then, so Bagra tells Alina that the Darkling is this evil dude doing evil things, and he's going to use her to do even more evil things. And Alina just, like, listens to her. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, she's, she's like, okay, I guess you're right. And he's this evil dude. I'm a peace out now. And it's like, I'm okay with her doing that, but I would have liked to see at least some kind of, you know, worry about what the Darkling was doing or what he wanted. And all we get is, but maybe he doesn't like me. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I, I think the reason why this book didn't bother me in the same way it bothered you is not because I disagree with any of your points, but I just couldn't bring myself to give a shit because there were no stakes. Like, oh no, the Darkling is going to put a magical collar on Alina so he can control all of her magic. Yeah, obviously that's not going to happen. I mean, it does for a hot second. Yeah, but I was never like, oh no. Like, yeah, duh, (laughs) she's going to get ahead of it. When the stakes are that big for a book this simple, you know that that's just not, they're going to find a way out of it. And so it's not interesting. At no point did I think, uh uh-oh, is League Art Bardugo going to have the main character's husband destroy the world? No. No, she's not going to do that. Yeah, you you definitely, at least in this book, and I do, again, I do think that this changes, even in books two and three, you don't feel like there are any stakes there. Like, obviously bad things are coming up, but you don't actually think that it's going to have any kind of impact on the main characters but even even for the collar like she just suddenly goes from calling it a necklace to calling it a collar without any thought 
Bogger's like, he's going to, you know, control you. And she's like, it's not a necklace, it's a collar. Just instantly. Brain exploding meme. Yeah. I don't... Uh... No, it, yeah. it's not a good book. <laughs> yeah. The only part that I was actually invested in was Alina's relationship with Mao in, like, the middle chunk of the book. Because at the beginning, they're childhood best friends and... She's got a big old crush on him and uh, everyone loves him, but he pays attention to her and it's just her being extra special again. But in the middle, there's some tension because she's writing letters and he's not writing any back. And then their first confrontation in the palace, he's pretty mean to her, justifiably. And when they part, it's possible that they're not going to see each other again. And that was a small enough consequence that I thought, Lee Bardugo might actually follow through. She doesn't. They end up together at the end. <laughs> but that meant that when Mal shows up to save her, that was actually a moment where I genuinely was like, hell yeah! <laughs> and then all the shit with the stag, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I for Mal, I've never been a big Mal fan because he's too nice. He's just boring. I He's nice and boring. I'm not saying I ship them, but those moments were the only points in the book where I was genuinely like engaged in the plot line. Right. I, I know. I'm not saying that you ship them either, but I see your point and I'm saying that his moments have never <laughs> been engaging to me because he's just too nice and I just don't care about him. Even the moment where he was being mean and specifically not nice? No. Yeah. Because he, he is the nice love interest. Like that's his that's his little box. Even when he's being mean, he can't get out of that little box. At the beginning, like the very beginning, like the first half of the first chapter, I was like, maybe the love triangle is going to be with Mal and Alexi. And it's, you know, the the childhood friend who she's obsessed with but doesn't pay enough attention to her versus the colleague who helps her out and has always been there for her, but she's too blinded by that. No, Alexi dies like <laughs> immediately. I, yeah, I, I would have liked that, but no, Alexi dies. I actually think that she should end up with the love interest who is not introduced in this book at all. And who's only a love interest for a hot second, but I think they make a much better couple than she and Mal or she and the Darkling do. Yeah, I don't have any opinion on the, the romantic relationship aspect. That was just finally a small enough stakes that it could actually go either way. <laughs> Clearly, it didn't. didn't. Yeah, <laughs> it no. did not. Yeah, missed opportunity. You know who else was a missed opportunity? The opera, the the creepy priest. Oh, the the priest guy. Yeah. Uh, who? That's his. That's what he's called, right? Yeah, that is what he's called. Because when Alina first gets to the palace, he like he doesn't corner her, but he finds her when she's alone and like says creepy, weird, ominous stuff, and like he has bad teeth, so obviously he's a bad guy because he's old and ugly. And at that point, I was like, well, maybe this book is going to do something interesting. And like, Alina trusts the Darkling because he's hot and she wants to kiss him. But then actually, this kind of scary, ominous man is genuinely trying to help her and she doesn't listen because she's being shallow. And no, the, the book doesn't really go there. This book doesn't go there. It sounds like maybe later. I think that the Operat's character. I think that Bardugo does moderately interesting things with the Operat's character, if I recall correctly, or at least slightly more nuanced things. But certainly there's no exploration of Alina trusting the Darkling because she has the hots for him and not trusting the Operat because of his appearance and she's a shallow bitch. Like, that's just not a thing that's explored and really could have been. I thought that would at least have made it... Like, that would have been thoughtful and interesting. And not shallow bitch, but she was kind of scared because he looked kind of creepy. And looks can be deceiving, like with the Darkling. Didn't go there at all. <laughs> at least this no. book didn't. <laughs> no, and I I don't... I'm trying to strain, strain my memory to, like, recall what the opera does in the next two books. It doesn't really matter. I'm just giving Bardugo the out that I've only read the first book, maybe it gets better, but it kind of doesn't sound like it. It it still feels like it doesn't fulfill the potential that could have been there. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it really does. But he he is an interesting character, not particularly in this book. No, not at all. 
Can we talk about Alina being a big dumbass now? Yes, we can we can talk about Alina being a big dumbass. She spends a lot of time talking about how she gets training in all sorts of things at the little palace. You know, like she learns how to use her powers. She gets hand-to-hand combat training where she specifically is training without her powers. And then she leaves, she runs away from the little palace because Bogra tells her that the Darkling is this evil dude doing evil things. And she's like, sure, that sounds right. I'm going to leave. And when she's running away, through the countryside she stops at this one town she's trying to keep a low profile because like obviously she knows that the darkling is going to be looking for her because she's the sun summoner she's the super special chosen one and so what does she do she gets accosted by a drunk guy not her fault i'm not faulting her for that you know it was her fault though (laughs) but she uses her powers and ends up essentially getting caught because like a soldier sees her and she knows that soldiers are in town. Like she knows that they're surely looking for her. She has this combat training. Why didn't she just punch him? She has a knife (laughs) and knows how to use it. I'm sorry. We spent 200 pages getting it hammered into us. How she's the specialist bitch on the whole planet. Cause she's the only person who can do this thing. Bah. (laughs) Yeah, that was it was such a frustrating scene because like so many of these scenes, it felt like this is what needed to happen for the plot, not this is what the characters would actually do. Not that I necessarily have a high opinion of Alina's thought process because she spends a lot of the book doing what other people tell her, like not thinking about it. But you would think that she would know, oh, maybe I shouldn't use my powers if I'm in town it's a really distinctive thing that I can do. I know people are looking for me. I know people are in town who are probably looking for me. Barbara should not have given her the reflecty gloves when she fled. Yeah, she shouldn't have. <laughs> like, <laughs> what was that about? Here, give yourself away immediately. Plot device. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have one last. I don't know if this is a comment or a complaint. <laughs> Good start. Good start. Probably a little bit of both. We haven't talked a lot about the Darkling. And I feel like Bardugo either does a great job of making him nuanced or a terrible job at keeping his character consistent. Because, like, I get the feeling reading this book that he really is doing what he thinks is best for his country not because he's a big old meanie who like wants to take over, but because he genuinely wants the Grisha to be safe. And I think in a better book, that would A, be intentional, <laughs> and B, be explored more so that you don't really know who to root for. Whereas obviously in this book, you're supposed to root for Alina against the Darkling. Like the Darkling is the big bad. You're not supposed to, he's not supposed to be a good character at all. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my comment slash complaint. Yeah. It was just hard to get invested in this book. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, for me, I've watched the show and it's a reread. So like I have spent more time. You've had time to formulate opinions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've talked an unusual amount this episode, but I have a words are weird. <laughs> It's not that unusual, but okay. No, I've talked a lot more, I think, than I usually do. Or at least I've I've driven more of the conversation than I normally do. I think you drive most of the conversation because you tend to have more opinions on books than I do, but not for this book. Anyway, that's a diversion from our words are weird or my words are weird, which is I was talking with my father the other day and we were talking about something that was going to happen next Wednesday. And it turned out that his next Wednesday and my next Wednesday were different Wednesdays. Because when I am, say it's Monday, and I'm talking about this Wednesday, that means two days from now, right? The the Wednesday that is immediately coming up. I'm so glad we agree on this. I was actually very worried that I was going to be arguing <laughs> Uncle Frank's position, which would have been fine. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> it would have been fine, but no, it, I think that we agree. Yes. And next Wednesday is essentially two Wednesdays. That's the Wednesday after this this Wednesday, right? You're with me so far? Absolutely. You, you agree with me so far? For my father, next Wednesday is the Wednesday two days from now, because that's the next Wednesday. But when is this Wednesday then? That's also, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we we consistently have this thing where we are talking about different dates when we use this and next, and it's just wild to me. No, next clearly is referring to next week. Yeah. Yeah. Although I say that last always refers to the most recent Wednesday. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. So that is an inconsistency there, I suppose. But I just, and I don't know whether this difference between how we use this and next is a generational thing, if it's a regional thing, if it's just a my father thing. But I found it really interesting. It is fascinating. I'm yeah. inclined to just blame Uncle Frank. <laughs> it's it's quite <laughs> possible, but it's just a him thing. Oh, we should pull. Hold on. I'm going to call my mom. Nine. Is that going to scare her? Maybe. <laughs> All right. Doing a little bit of extracurricular research. My mother agrees with your father. It makes sense. They grew up in the same household. <laughs> So maybe it's just a Carruthers thing. Maybe. My dad was on the fence. It sounded like he mostly agreed with me, but he walked it back, maybe just to annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is what dads are supposed to do. It's true. <laughs> and where did I get it from? Who knows? <laughs> it's a mystery. So I'm leaning towards generational at this point. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned, listeners. Sometime after this episode goes up, we'll put a poll up in our Discord, and you can vote for whether this Saturday means a couple days from now or a couple plus seven days from now. <laughs> no, whether next Saturday next means Next Saturday. <laughs> See, I keep saying it backwards, because obviously this Saturday is a couple days from now. Right, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Fiction Fans. Come disagree with us about when next Saturday is. We're on Twitter and Instagram at FictionFansPod. You can also email us at FictionFansPod at gmail.com and join our Discord. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and follow us wherever your podcasts live so that Mr. Squeak will stop looking at me so worriedly. <laughs> is she having a moment? She's having a moment. She looks very concerned. Oh, poor thing. She's gotten off my lap and, and she's just staring at me like, what is going on? You'd think she'd be used to this by now. You would think, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a Patreon where you can listen to an exclusive journalistic fact-finding mission where I pull some close relatives on when next Saturday is, uh, where you can support us and also find our show notes, maybe. Thanks again for listening, and may your villains, even if they're the Darkling, always be defeated. Bye! Bye.